So a lot of times I have a group of ministers that I talk to in different ways about the scriptures that I have to preach on a given Sunday if I'm using the lectionary. This last week, as I've been kind of preparing and from weeks before for this Sunday, this story pops up in the lectionary. And the group of ministers and theologians that I kind of chat with about this, the preaching professor on that said to the group, this is a great story, just don't preach on it. I'm always listening to her, and I decided to preach on it. She said don't preach on it because it is a part of a story, a part of a much larger story, the story of Joseph and his brothers. We get just a tiny little bit of the story today. And the person that I was talking to, she said, it's so hard to unpack all of this story and to tell the entire story to people. It's just, it would take too much time. But I still decided to preach on it. Then this week I had this great idea. I'm just going to sing the entire portion of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat to you this week, and that's going to be the whole sermon, all right? Father, we've something to tell you, the story of our time, a tragic but inspiring tale of manhood in his prime. You know you had a dozen sons, well, now that's not quite true. But feel no problems, do not grieve. He would not want you to. There's one more angel in heaven. There's one more star in the sky. Now see, I can sing the whole thing for you. Close every door to me. Um, their brother's song, let me tell you, my Pharaoh Elvis piece is to die for. But still, we'd be here all day, and you don't want to hear that. So, But it's interesting because the way that I see this story and the importance of it in my own life is this. I think about this story. It's found different ways of, of manifesting itself, of living its way out in my life. Throughout the years, my parents took me to um, Chicago when I was in high school to see the production. And who was starring in it? Donny Osmond. Donny will always be my idea of who Joseph looks like. Now, of course, when we went up to Chicago to see it that night, he was sick. And so we got the understudy. But the idea and the image that I had that night of the Joseph character rising off of the um, off of the stage being harnessed up into the air and, and his multi-shimmering coat of sequins, multi-colors shining in the spotlight continues to be in my head. I've shared this passion with my kids. We used to listen to the text or the, the soundtrack all the time in the car. We've watched the movie throughout the years with my kids and I'm sure that I will be passing that on to Beckett. I even sang him some of the songs last night as we were doing bath time. So this is how I see the story. This is how I experience it. 
But going back this last week and looking at it again and reading it in new ways and really delving into it, I found some interesting stuff. Fascinating enough, I learned something about Joseph's coat. One of the things that I learned is that when you look at the term of what that coat is in the original Hebrew, there is some argument about what this thing is that he was given. The translation that we get of this coat of many colors comes from a translation that comes from Greek, which is the Septuagint, and also another one that's called the Vulgate. And these two made some choices in the translation of the Hebrew that called it a coat of many colors. But the reality, when you look back at it, and you look at it, and you tear this thing apart, it actually translates in the temple and in the synagogues. And it was an ornate kind of outfit that the sleeves went all the way down to the very tips of the hands, to the palms, over the thumbs. But it's also used in a way when it is referred to the woman Tamar and talking about her virginity, her understanding as a, a, a new person, someone who is fresh and clean as well. A priest and a young woman, a young maiden, both have the same kind of garb that Joseph was given. It changes it a little bit, but in understanding what it is that this coat is, it pushes my own mind to give meaning to this story. Because the reason that my friend or my colleague decided that I shouldn't preach this is there are so many things to look at throughout this whole story. There's the earliest part, this idea of this relationship with the siblings. And the thing is, Genesis itself, the book, uses relationships with siblings to talk about how we live life from the very earliest points. Remember the story of Cain and Abel, these two brothers who argue with each other and leads to the first murder in the Bible. You also get the story of Jacob and Esau and the ways that they sought to, um, to please their father, how they tried to get the birthright. You get experiences of them going back and forth, these twins that wrestled in the womb. And you get the story of these 12 brothers. And let me tell you, my experience with my own brother there was some conflict. He'll tell you about the time I shoved him in the laundry hamper and sat on the top. It wasn't selling him to Harry Ishmaelites, but, you know, it wasn't good. But we see that, that, the, the, that our experiences with other folks and especially within our own families are lived out through stories of siblings. And I can't imagine having 12 brothers, let alone just one. But there's all this stuff that goes on, this sibling rivalry, this idea that Joseph feels that he is called to something else in life, something that is greater, even as a younger brother. Because we all know as 
I mean, I'm an older brother. I know that the younger brother always wanted to be more important than the older brother, but we all know the oldest siblings are the most important ones, right? <laughs> and then also the experience of how they took that. Then there's the experience of, of Joseph being sold into slavery, this experience of him going to Egypt and serving in Potiphar's house. There's a lot that happens in there as well, how he understands his place in the world and how his actions make a difference, how he's called to live in a way that is honorable. Then the experience, how do you stand up to those in political power, this experience that he has with the families? They have a way of teaching us something and of ordering life. And as I mentioned before, I kind of like that because it does give meaning to what is going around with us. But more than anything, my hope is that we don't jump to this idea that God is controlling all of this. Rather, understanding God's presence throughout all of it. Because within our own lives, we recognize that as we move through life, there are things that happen, experiences that we go through that we recognize as life-changing or momentous moments in our lives that we want to mark. Places where we want to take a flower out. Sometimes it is a flower from a show that we do. Other times it is a flower that we have from a funeral or maybe a dance or maybe it's from a wedding. And we want to press those flowers and we want to hang on to the experience. And maybe when we look back, we can see something that points to why this might have happened. But in the midst of it, we recognize that there is not always a clear understanding of why these things happen. Looking back on them is how we process them. Instead, what we know is that through all of this, God is present with us. It is God's presence God's sitting with God's people, sitting with each of us in these moments of change, of growth, of pain, of heartache, that we can see where God is working. I do believe that that's what Jesus came to do, is to remind us of God's presence instead of God's manipulation of things going around with us. You can see that within the stories within the Gospels. They all have a little bit of difference of looking at things. Sometimes it's a feeding of 3,000. Sometimes it's a feeding of 5,000. Sometimes Jesus heals by spitting into dirt and making a paste. Sometimes Jesus just invites the person to recognize that they were already healed. Throughout all of it, there are nuances to the story except for one place that God is present. 
And when we move to a place that we see God controlling the situation, it takes us out of being a part of things. Then God just does things to us. We are the puppets God is controlling us. The thing about this is that we have an active part in living. Joseph had a choice of how to speak the words that he was being shared in his dreams. The brothers had a choice to tear up that tunic with sleeves and throw him down into a pit and sell him off. Joseph had a choice as to how he would stand up to Potiphar, how he would speak to Pharaoh, how he would be one that shared the wealth of a nation with all people. Joseph had a choice. The brothers had a choice. We have a choice. How will we take what we have experienced and what we are doing in this life and build a world that looks more like God? You'll never be able to change this idea of Joseph's coat as being one of many colors. But I do hope that we recognize that how we see it and how we share that story is our calling. How will you sing your story? How will you share your experiences and how will you remind the world that God is present for us today in every day. Let us go shining that light and singing those songs. Amen. Thank you for listening to the White Oak Pond Christian Church Podcast. We hope that it's been a blessing to you this day. White Oak Pond seeks to be a place where we accept one person at a time to Christ's never-ending and forgiving love. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive sermons each and every week. And also rate us. It really helps. Thank you again, and may you know joy in powerful ways this week.